interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Well, good morning. Today is May 24th, and we did not have a program last week because the guest got sick. So we're back on today, and we have a great show for you, one that uh, you're going to want to listen to all the way through. My name is Scott Shera. I'm Grace's dad. For those of you who are not familiar with this podcast, I believe Grace was allowed to go home early uh, to wake me up personally and then to use Grace's story to wake many others up. And this program is called Deprogramming with Grace's Dad because of the fact that it is the single most important thing that I have learned since Grace's death, which is how programmed I have been. And so I make an effort every week to bring on a guest or guests that focus on ways that we are programmed and then to look at things from another perspective so that we can do what God intends and today is no exception. So as everyone knows who has been watching, I always start out with something special about grace, and today is uh, a very special uh, treat. And so, Don, I'm going to have you play that clip now. I am a comedian. My dad is definitely a comedian. Here's the, the first joke. Why didn't the toilet paper cross the road? (laughs) It's stuck in a crack. (laughs) The other one is a knock-knock joke. Knock-knock. Centipede. Centipede on the Christmas tree. (laughs) (laughs) Electrocuted. I made this up. Myself in the deer stand last year with my dad. One of our deer. I said to dad, I have a joke for you. I said, where to be is go to the bathroom. The PP station. This is so known that. This is that other funny joke. I just found this on his phone and Victoria's. Restaurant. He said, What is brown and sticky? <laughs> A stick. <laughs> <laughs> this is the hilarious things ever my whole life. <laughs> my mom and dad, my big sister. My two nephews, Caleb is seven, Riley's five, and Billy Adam with Render Titan. I'm the third daughter of my mom's belly. No more of this funny conversation. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a uh... Film of Grace, I have never shared publicly because it is very hard to relive that. that uh, the time when she was sharing this was at my son Travis's funeral. Travis committed suicide in October of 2018. And 
Roughly 10 minutes before that video, Grace had the entire congregation in tears. And it's because she asked my wife, Cindy, and I if she could go up and sit on the bench with the piano player, August. And August was playing a song on Eagle's wings. And Grace got up in front of the congregation and was waving her arms like an eagle and everybody was bawling. Then she came back and sat down with Cindy and I, and the pastor asked if anybody wanted to get up and talk. And of course, Grace uh, volunteered and, and then she got up and had everybody in stitches. And that was Grace. Uh, we had an angel walking around with us on earth. And you know, I'm, I'm uh, humbled to be doing what I'm doing. And it's an honor of, uh, it started of course, an honor of grace. And now you realize it's, it's actually to bring glory to God. So with that being said, Don, bring in our guest. So our guest today is Sharam Hadian. So Sharam did a great job in explaining how to pronounce his first name for me before we got on. And I'm going to read a little bit about him because this is a very special man that we have here and he is going to do a phenomenal job at waking us up. Uh, Pastor Sharam Hadian is the founder of Truth and Love Ministry and is a sought after speaker who travels around North America addressing critical issues facing us as believers and as Americans. I met, or I saw Sharam speak five weeks ago at the Wisconsin Christian News Conference in Wausau, Wisconsin. I didn't get a chance to meet him because everybody was stacked up like cordwood at his his table, and you'll hear what I uh, want him to speak on first as we get rolling. I'm going to go back to his introduction. A Christian pastor and former Muslim, Sharam was born in Iran, came to America to escape an oppressive Islamic regime, and had a powerful conversion to Christianity in 1999. Sharam's unique background includes experience as a pastor, police officer, teacher, coach, and servant leader in his community. He was a candidate for the governor of Washington State in 2012. In the past several years, he has spoken to hundreds of groups around North America, including legislators, law enforcement, civic groups, churches, and concerned citizens. He frequently advises legislators and law enforcement around the country on matters of national security and defending the Constitution and rule of law. So, Sharam, it's really great to see you. Thanks for coming on. Scott, it's such an honor uh, to be on with you and um, just uh, deeply touched by uh, Grace's story by the video that you just shared, um, by by who she was. Uh, from just a little bit, I can see um, it's just an honor to be on with you, and thank you for doing what you're doing. Well, thank you, thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. You know, when when the people were stacked up like cordwood at your table, I was hearing you share a story about a hospital escape with your wife. And even though that's not what we're going to talk about today, but before we do, I just want everybody to know that you are well aware of the fight that we're in and you had an experience yourself. So can you share that experience with yourself before we jump into the program? Yeah, absolutely. When you talk about deprogramming, Scott, um, you know, we've all had to go through a lot of deprogramming, I think in the last three or four years, especially uh, because of what was hoisted upon us. And um, some of us, uh, myself included, by the grace of God, you know, had some foreknowledge, you know, uh, because when you were studying um, this, this globalist agenda, when you were studying what was going on, 
you had a little bit of a taste of, you know, kind of a, a sense of it. And we were, we were in our ministry warning people from the beginning, even before uh, COVID was unleashed. But then in 2021, <clears throat> my wife was pregnant with our sixth child um, and we were supposed to have a home birth, but then um, uh, late into the pregnancy, it was already a hard pregnancy. She ended up catching COVID, which, you know, is a bioweapon. And, and, and unfortunately, um, because of her pregnancy and other things, um, she was already struggling with her health and struggling with sleeping and things like that. It was very difficult on her. And our midwife decided, you know, uh, we're not going to do a home birth. So we were forced um, as she was struggling to get better. And we had gotten her on, on protocol. You know, I had gotten her on um, hydroxy and all the other things that I could, but it was just, you know, it was just that she was just got to that point. So I was honestly knowing what we had known about the hospital systems, knowing the stories that I had already heard from others who had lost loved ones. You know, I was so reticent. I, I, I was just, you know, but, but she got to the point where it's like, nope, we couldn't get oxygen. She needed oxygen. So anyway, we ended up going into the hospital. Um, and initially they wouldn't let me in. Uh, even though it was violating their own written policy, I, I'd already checked to, to find out the written policy at University of Tennessee here in Knoxville area. Um, so they ambulanced her to the hospital because we had gone to a community one. And then from there, they sent her to the, uh, this UT. And then when I got there, because uh, they wouldn't let me in the ambulance, and this is at the height, right? This is like, this is uh, September of 2021, right? The height where we were seeing um, just, pure insanity. Right. And, um, when we got, basically got, it, uh, got, I got there, the, the, they had security waiting for me because I had already told them that I'm coming into the hospital no matter what. So security was there. They kicked me out of the hospital. They escorted me by security, threatened to call the police. And I said, go ahead and call the police. I want them here. Um, and fortunately I was connected to a group of freedom fighters. Uh, it was a group called empower Knox. They were fighting all the mandates and, and all the insanity that we were seeing. And so I was on the phone with them. I called a, a friend of mine who is part of a group here called Tennessee Stands. I called a friend of mine who's a state senator here in Tennessee. And I'm just getting them all activated. And um, now I'm concerned of what they're going to do to her. I got to go a little faster here. Bottom line is because of these phone calls and, and fortunately in Tennessee, we have the ability to have uh, medical power of attorney verbally. Uh, you don't have to have it written. So my wife was still lucid. So I got her on the phone and I said, the moment the doctor comes in, invoke medical power of attorney, you're transferring everything to me, which she did. And that was part of the saving grace. I believe the initial saving grace was because once they did that, I said, now, if you touch my wife, if you do anything to her, you're not going to have, only have the more, most massive loss you've ever had. I'm going to have 50 people outside this hospital protesting this hospital because we actually had people saying, I'm ready to come down and we're going to protest. We're, we're going to form a protest outside of the hospital. And uh, so th that kind of slowed them down. They left her in triage, no water, no care for a number of hours. After seven hours, they finally agreed to let me into the hospital because I'm just, I'm threatening lawsuits. We had a, a, the, the, a lawyer on the phone, injunction, whatever we needed to do. I mean, this is, in, this is you know, just incredible. And then once they let me in, they said, oh, we got to test you. I like, go ahead, test me. I'd already had COVID. I knew I wasn't, you know, I had immunity. Uh, so they test me. I'm negative. Well, now, once I'm in the room with her, 
they won't let me leave. They said, if you leave the hospital, you can't come back. And I said, I got five kids at home. I need to be able to, you know, be, nope, you got to make a choice. I said, why? Because uh, I said, you can retest me. Nope. I mean, nothing made sense. And, and you know right. that. So um, th- that uh, went on. Uh, we we had, uh, um, decided to induce because we had to induce to be able to save the baby's life and her life. Um, and then they kept coming in. And I'd already told them up front, I do not want remdesivir. I do not want to talk about ventilators. My wife's going to get better. She's going to have this baby. She's going to breathe better because the baby obviously was, was affecting her breathing. And then we're going to go home. And so it just for the next five days, it was nonstop. It, it, it took a day and a half for, for her to actually deliver. They kept, they kept coming in multiple times trying to pressure us into taking remdesivir. I had a long one-hour argument with three doctors on, uh, on, on the, their criminality for prescribing remdesivir. I, I went through the, the studies. They had, they had no idea, Scott, about the NIH studies, the Fauci studies. They had no idea about what they were prescribing and how they were murdering people in the hospital with this protocol. So and, did they uh, believe you? Did they believe you when no, you shared the studies? No, okay. no, they didn't believe me. And I said, you need to go read it. How, how can you as a doctor be prescribing this as the only antiviral when the NIH, by the way, ha- had on their website ivermectin as an approved antiviral for COVID-19? They, they were yeah, so they have that. Uh, by the way, that's been taken down. I have that as a screenshot, which me you too. Know, they... me t- <laughs> exactly. Right. They took it down because they don't want to admit it. Right. Um, but, but Scott, they were, they were so arrogant. They were so arrogant and it was so evil. I mean, I, I knew, again, I had heard the stories I had heard because as I was traveling, uh, when I started kind of being able to travel again in early 2021, after all the shutdowns, because a lot of the States that I traveled like Wisconsin and Minnesota and others were all shut down. But as I started traveling, I'm hearing the horror stories. I'm right. hearing the stories. So now I'm living it. And now I'm seeing it firsthand and I'm seeing this system and I'm seeing uh, and it seemed like, you know, the younger the nurses, the more brainwashed they were, the more programmed they were. Um, so by the grace of God, there was a I'll share this one last part. There was a key pivotal mo- moment because the baby was about to be born. They came in and they kept saying, when the baby's born, we're going to separate your wife from the baby. You got to take care of the baby or we're going to put the baby in NICU. Your wife's got to go in the ICU for COVID. And I said, you have COVID patients on the labor and delivery floor. She only ha- needed about five or six liters of oxygen because of the pregnancy. She was breathing hard, working hard. She had a baby in her. So they said, no, this, this one doctor, administrative doctor was adamant. We're going to separate you. And I said, what is it going to take for us to stay together? And he comes up with this arbitrary number. Oh, because first of all, they wouldn't let me go with her, even though, I said, you can test me. I already have immunity. Oh, well, no, it only has to be in the last 90 days. And I said, every study has shown natural immunity lasts way longer than that. Nothing made sense to them. This was all arbitrary, on the fly, violating their own policies. And uh, so uh, this doctor said, well, your wife can only be, once she delivers the baby, um, Oh, if, and, and if she has to have a C-section, by the way, they told me, if she has to have a C-section, we're going to intubate her and put her on a ventilator. And I said, are you insane? Are you insane for her to have a C-section? You're going to put her on a ventilator? You're going to kill her. Why? Again, nothing. So we, 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 uh, uh, I'm like, okay, we, so we had so many people praying. I, I don't know how many thousands of people were praying. 
So we, um, he said, if the, when the baby's born, um, she can only be on two liters of oxygen at 90% saturation. I said, why two? These it's, rooms go it's up. It's just an, arbit an arbitrary, arbitrary number. Totally arbitrary. So baby's born. Now we got to slowly wean her down on her oxygen level because she was able to breathe better because she was able to take some deeper breaths. And, uh, and so I then said to this nurse after about an hour after the baby was born, and thank God the baby was born, baby's healthy, you know, she delivered naturally. Uh, I said, we're running out of time. And uh, this was the moment that I think the Lord had, I, I believe this nurse was a believer and I believe this nurse was one of those few who, you know, were the good ones. And this nurse turned to me and said, uh, that's not hospital policy. And I said, they haven't followed one thing of hospital policy up to this point. She said, no, right. hospital policy is when I'm done with the room, then they're going to move you guys. And this nurse took her time. Everything, she went slow, slow, and two hours turned to four hours. And that gave my wife that time to come down to this arbitrary two liters. And that forced them to keep us together. And then we were in a room together. Yeah. And, and by the grace of God, and then I won't even go into how they thought they owned my baby and they wanted to give the baby a coat. Three times after the baby was born, they threatened to call Child Protective Services on me because they wanted to do stupid things on the baby. Anyway, after five days, by the grace of God, we got out. And from that moment, like you, Scott, I decided that we have to be an advocate for this. And we have to, to warn, not just because of what our situation was. And I was... I was the fortunate one. The Lord was, you know, we were fortunate in our situation, but it was because of the fact that um, others, for others like Grace yeah. and others who have yeah. lost their lives. Right. It becomes a duty. You have this duty now to not just share the story, but then, you, you know, look at what is causing it. And, you know, our presentation today is going to go through uh, what is the cause of this, you know, and from the medical perspective, as I've drilled this down, I've learned their, their programming has started uh, about a hundred years ago and they are programmed in the spirit of collectivism. And so they do not look at the individual care anymore. And it's, and so then part of collectivism is, following made up standards of care that are based on rationing care and, you know, based on these crazy arbitrary standards, you know, so then they, there is no intention to focus on the individual and it's part of how they are trained and it's, it's sickening. It doesn't, the training that they receive, by the way, is not an excuse. And uh, you may not be aware of this, but we filed the first of its kind lawsuit in April to expose this evil and hold individual doctors and nurses to account because that's what's got to happen. Amen. Doctors and nurses have to realize on a national basis, you cannot use this training, uh, hospital supposed policy, NIH procedures, all these excuses as your excuse to kill somebody. And you are spot on that your wife would have been killed if that sequence of events that you were personally involved in didn't happen. And that's the level of advocacy that we've got to take now. It's, it's yeah. absolutely sickening. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I slept about an hour and a half a day because every time they came into the room, I had to check what they were doing, what they were giving her, you know? Um, and I was on the phone with our, with our, uh, um, you know, freedom loving, 
uh, nurse practitioner who was guiding me through that as well. Um, and, and, you know, we had, were, were familiar with the good protocols, you know, but we, we had to sneak into the hospital, vitamin D, vitamin C, knack, all these things we had to sneak in. Right. You're sneaking in. It doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. you feel like you feel like a, some some criminal, you know, I mean, and, and we could not. And one of the I think one of the other fights is we got to continue to keep pressure on our legislators to 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 pass patient advocacy here in Tennessee. The Medical Association, the Hospital Association, Vanderbilt University of Tennessee. This is our big lobby. You know, when I was in Washington State, it was the teachers union here in Tennessee. It's the, it's this medical cabal. And they have fought these patient advocacy bills just left and right. They don't want patient advocacy. Why? Why would they not want patient advocacy? Why would they not want somebody in that room fighting for that patient? Like you said, the individualism rather than the collectivism. It's because they have a deeper agenda, the financial agenda, the policy agenda. And, and I love what you guys are doing. God bless you. Praise God. I pray that this lawsuit will bear fruit, that there has to be a reckoning for these individuals. They can't hide behind these things. And I'm uh, so grateful that you guys are doing that. Thanks for that, Sharam. That was fantastic that people can understand the the story and that you've lived what a lot of people who are listening have also lived through. In fact, there's been 1.2 million hospital murders in mm. the United States in the last 39 months. And wow. the, our lawsuit is representing all of those families, uh, unfortunately, most of them don't even know because they've never gotten the records and they bought into the propaganda. So anyway, with that behind us, I want to introduce the title of today's presentation. And this is stealing from Sharam's title in uh, his Wausau presentation five months ago. And it's called The Great Pushback, Countering the Great Reset. And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through 28 slides. Mostly uh, we're going to hear Sharam comment on those slides. I'll add a few comments and there's a few of them we'll, we'll do some, a little bit of a deep dive into. And, you know, so this is based on the idea that we have a responsibility. And so I'm going to have you introduce the slides by defining one word and this word you used when you were in Wausau and that is the word occupy we have response to we have responsibility to occupy what God has given us until Jesus returns so can you can you expand on that term occupy so people have their arms around it yeah absolutely um you know as you're talking about the title of that presentation um the concept of the great pushback came obviously once we began to see the um, agenda, the globalist agenda, the agenda of the enemy. We know that ultimately this is a, uh, an unbiblical anti-Christ spirit. But the Occupy comes in the fact that um, there's a lot of people that look at Bible prophecy and look at the things that are happening in these days, and they say, you know, what can we do? What can we do? You know, or, or even what's the point of doing something? And the Bible has never given us permission, even though we know, you know, and I believe we know certain things are going to happen. If we, if we follow Bible prophecy, about a third of the Bible is prophecy. It never gave us permission to quit. It never gave us permission to give up. It never gave us permission to not resist evil. In fact, doesn't the Bible say resist the devil? We have to resist evil. So when we see evil rising, when we see 1.2 million, is that what you said, Scott? 1.2 million people murdered. Um, we know that Correct. there's an evil. And this evil... Is, has now permeated um, not just our culture, but the hearts and minds, even in the church. As you said, how many people were programmed and fell for the programming 
as, as spirit-filled Christians. So that's why right. we talk about occupying. We have to occupy until the Lord comes for us. We are going to stand where he's called us to stand and fight where he's called us to fight against evil and unrighteousness. Excellent. Very, very well said. All right, Don, let's bring in the title slide. All right, so this is uh, our introduction. We'll go to the second slide. If you want to uh, follow Sharam, he's got his own show. You can see the the link here, and I would encourage you to do that. You know, I, I listened to him twice five weeks ago, and I couldn't get enough of it. I thought, boy, I got to have this man on the on on the podcast, and thankfully he is here today. Uh, the third slide I want to spend a little bit of time on. Go ahead, Don. All right, so I would like you to walk through how did you come to grips with the idea that Islam was a false religion? Well, the, the short um, version of, the, of my story, of my testimony, having grown up, you know, as you said in the introduction, born in Iran, grown up in a Muslim family, then fleeing Iran, uh, we, you know, we escaped before the government was overthrown in 1979. But, you know, I grew up basically um, being taught that the god of Islam, uh, Iranians are Persians. You know, we're not Arabs. We haven't, you know, Iranian people didn't grow up with Islam. It was foisted upon us. And so I, when I grew up um, trying to get my mind around this, this, this religion that I was supposed to be following a, a, as a Muslim, uh, I began to realize two things. One is there is no guarantee of salvation in Islam, except if you want to become a martyr, if you want to go kill yourself um, for, you know, for that god. And number two, this God is not knowable. And that's what I was taught all, all along, was that the God of Islam is not a knowable personal God. He, he's so, you know, so above us that he's not knowable. And so that left a huge void and longing in my heart for knowing God. From the age of four, I used to actually have dreams. And I had dreams about knowing God, being with God, and yet there was an absolute vacuum. Uh, fast forward to I had left Iran, come to the States, 28 years old, um, and I encounter some Christians uh, that actually had the courage to talk to me about their faith because I had Christian friends growing up, but they were either very uh, secular in the sense of they were, they were not living for Christ or they never actually told me about the way to be saved. And so once I finally heard the message of what uh, Christianity is from the Bible standpoint, because I had some idea of what Islam taught about Christianity, but it was all false. Islam's claims about Christianity are all false. Um, like the fact that we have made a man become God, or that we claim that there are three gods, or things like that. These are all obviously misunderstandings about Christianity. Uh, the, the Muslims are taught. The Bible is a corrupt book. Muslims are taught that. Uh, so right. when I, by encounters that I had, um, with the Holy Spirit and who, with these Christians that God put in my life. In 1999, as I began to truly explore Christianity, the more I explored it, the more I was answering my question. Now, granted, it was also very hard because it was challenging what I had believed all my life until that point, 28 years growing up. But it was, um, but it was absolutely um, the most important thing was going to a place of just opening my heart. And I just began to pray as I was learning about Christianity. I said, 
God, you know that I've wanted to know you from a young age. You know that I've wanted to be with you and I wanted to be saved from you. Because I would ask my parents, if I die, how do I know if I'm going to go to heaven? Yeah. I said, my heart is open. All I want is the truth. I have no agenda. I want to know the truth. And as I began to pray that way, then the truth began to permeate. And it was a day that I was driving home from work. I, uh, th- one of the Christians had given me a tape to listen to of an, of an Easter message about the resurrection and the crucifixion. The crucifixion and the resurrection, I should say. And uh, I had that in my car. I was playing. And all of a sudden, I just felt such a compelling presence in the car. Now I know it was the Holy Spirit. Pull over to the side of the road. I'm bawling. I mean, I'm absolutely weeping. And I'm like, what is going on? And right there in that car, I began to sense this, that touch of the Holy Spirit upon my heart. Sharam, you now know the truth. You prayed. I've now revealed to you to the truth. The truth is to set you free. One way is true. One way is a lie. Meaning I knew that Christianity was true. The Bible was true. And Islam was a lie. There is nothing common about them. And, and, and so choose today. That was what I heard in my heart. Choose today who we're going to serve. And right there in that car, I prayed. I received the Lord. And from that moment, the Lord put me on a path. Within um, about six months, I was enrolled in Bible college and became a pastor. Um, And I've been serving the Lord by his grace for the last 24 years. And of course, in our ministry, Truth in Love, we do a lot of warning, a lot of uh, bringing people to defend the gospel. Because today we're seeing the salvation in no other name being challenged. We see Christians promoting um, ecumenicalism and interfaith and multi-faith with Muslims or claiming that, um, you know, the, 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 the Bible is compatible with other belief systems. Or, and, it, and it's all a perversion of that slide that you have, that there yeah. is salvation in no other name. Jesus is the only, the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of the Quran, because the Jesus of Islam is a counterfeit. And sure. that's the, that's why we exist. That's why our ministry exists to proclaim that name, and to protect the bride of Christ, to protect the church and equip the church for the work of the ministry. Well, and you know, we're going to invest the balance of the time talking about equipping because that is that is the message. This is our responsibility. Uh, fantastic! Thank you for sharing that. Uh, next slide, Don. All right. How do we know that we're in the end times? Can you summarize that in, you know, I, I'm convinced personally, but I want, I would like everybody <laughs> listening to be convinced that because it, it changes your perspective if we're in the end times. It, it really does. It really does. And I think the shortest answer I can give is the evidence. Uh, first of all, I guess your perspective does matter because how we interpret the Bible is important because I do not believe that we are in a post-millennial uh, era where we believe things are getting better. I believe we're obviously pre-millennial, meaning that we we are not yet in the kingdom of God. Christ has not returned, obviously. And I, I hope everybody watching this can agree that Jesus is physically coming back. We're to occupy again until he comes for us. But um, the evidence, when you look at Bible prophecy and when you look at what is spelled out, and then you look at what has happened, even especially in the last three years, the whole point of this presentation that we did of the great pushback is because all of a sudden many of us finally began to see if we had eyes to see the globalist agenda we began to see the foundation of what the bible has prophesied about a coming one world government a coming one world economy and so so i think the evidence is now so overwhelming and 
Israel is a key to this prophetic timetable. Israel becoming a nation, coming back into the land, God bringing them from, from being scattered. There's a lot of evidence to show that this is the generation. This is the last time. And as you said, Scott, if we have that perspective, we're going to live with uh, urgency, boldness, passion. And we're not going to compromise. Uh, and that's what uh, we're there to do to prepare that that church to be that remnant end time church. And also one other clue, the Bible has predicted there's going to be a great falling away before the end. And that's also sadly what we're seeing is that we see how many Christians, how many churches, how many pastors, how many denominations are so compromised and lukewarm. That that to me is evidence. Yeah. And I have some very specific, uh, slides that I am adding to your slides when we get to that point, because out of all the things that I have learned uh, since Grace's death, that is that was a wake-up call. It's in the top five, just what you just said. So we'll, we'll drill that down quite a bit when we get there. Mm-hmm. These next two slides, five and six, what I'm going to have you do, Sharam, is I want you to read slide five. Don, when he's done reading that, go right to slide six. So we read them together, and then we'll talk about them. Yeah, absolutely. So this is obviously um, uh, Jesus speaking in, in the Ma- book of Matthew, chapter 24, uh, speaking of, I believe, again, that the main context of Matthew 24 was preparing uh, the, his disciples for his, his second coming, that he's going to be leaving and coming back. And so they asked him this question as, they were, as he was teaching them um, and, and asking them, Lord, well, what will be? Clearly, that's the context. Lord, what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? Because he was telling them about his second coming. And so the very first thing that he says to them is Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. So how important is deception to the, to the Lord? And then it says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not troubled. Um, uh, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. These are all these are the beginnings of sorrows. And so the days of sorrow, I believe, are upon us. That's the the, the preparation. But again, here he says the deception that one of the signs that I point to, to being in the last days is the level of deception. And my goodness, COVID was the largest um, hoax perpetrated on humanity. Not that there was not an actual virus, obviously, but it was all this is part of the deception that we're seeing in these last days. Well, I agree with that 100%. I wrote a long paper on that exact thing. I called COVID the second largest PSYOP in history. And so the second largest PSYOP, COVID was really the anti-Christ beast system exposed to all of us if we're paying attention. And so I called that the second largest PSYOP and then wrote a follow-up paper exposing what is the first PSYOP. Well, that's coming, which which I connected the dots in the paper, and that would be the false prophet system, the second B system, and that's what's coming. And yeah. you know what? That is the ultimate deception because it's going to it's going to um, have things that we would all agree with. And yet it's going to have a big hook. Uh, so, Great. you know, we, we would agree with things like, so when you hear this stuff coming, we, you know, if they talk about a gold backed system, of course, we'd all agree with that. We live in a, we have a fiat currency. You know, they talk about military tribunals to, you know, that we've got to take care of these people who killed, they murdered us. You know, the An- right. Anthony Fauci's of the world. I mean, these people deserve death. 
okay, well, I mean, all these things are all part of this false profit system. Um, anyway, we've, we've got a... Yeah. yeah. If you want to comment on that, Sharon, that would be fantastic. No, I mean, I, I agree with that 100%. And, and, and uh, one of the things I point out from the book of Revelation is that people forget that it's that second beast that leads all to take the mark of the beast. Uh, if right. you read later on, it's that second beast from verse 11 to 18, the beast of the land, that false prophet, false religious system that is going to lead to worshiping the first beast which of course we know ultimately will be embodied by the, you know, will be the antichrist halfway through what I believe is going to be a, a seven year tribulation period, but also um, it's going to deceive many. And I think we saw that in COVID. I mean, you think about Scott, how many churches, how many denominations, how many pastors simply went along. They just simply went along, shut down their churches, believe whatever the government was telling them, no discernment, no prayer, no counsel, no Wait on the Lord. Uh, and that's what we were begging. We were be- I was begging pastors when I was in Washington State and then even here in Tennessee. I said, why are we not coming together as a council, like the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, praying, waiting, discerning? Lord, what is this agenda? Because after, you know, okay, I gave grace for two or three weeks, maybe a month to these churches that didn't know. But after that, we should have seen the agenda. We should have understood, wait a second, this is not Absolutely. adding up. Not adding up. Great. Yeah, that was obvious. You know, I don't, I'm not even a, <laughs> this, I don't want to go on this rabbit trail now. Maybe this is something you and I can talk about later, but the the programming of the churches is interesting to me. Uh, we're going to, I have a, a slide that I'm going to show later on when we get to that. But, you know, as I've drilled that down personally, I, I just wonder how much the church has been programmed. Not not the simple things that you and I are talking about right now. Why didn't they stay open? Why did they promote masks? Why did some of the mega churches promote the jab? Yeah, I can't. Right. It's that's inconceivable to me. But the programming of churches has been going on, which we're going to cover in a bit. And you know how deep is that programming? You know, even so, I'll just touch on this now, not for debate, but just so that that people understand programming. So when I looked at the seven-year period, for example, when I I looked at commentaries, so virtually all the commentaries that are more than 120 years old, none of them reference the seven-year period, and yet all of them afterward do. So it made me wonder, okay, is this part of the programming? And, Mm. you know, again, it's not my point to debate that right now, but it just, it's, We've just got to be careful with everything. All of our beliefs are suspect until we have proven it beyond a shadow of a doubt by our own research with God's wisdom. Uh, we yeah. cannot believe talking heads, and yeah. that's what we have been programmed to do. Yeah. All right, let's move to the next slide, Don, slide seven. So this idea of a one-world <coughs> religion you know, we saw this with COP27 in Egypt last November, you know, where they came up with the Ten Commandments for climate change. Uh, I'd like your perspective of the one world religion. What, it, what is this going to look like? Well, I certainly agree that I think, I think the climate uh, worship um, is a part of this one world religion. Um, I think that uh, transhumanism, the movement towards um, humanity 2.0, and uh, artificial intelligence will be a part of this new, you know, this one world religion. 
But the argument that I make, a perspective, I guess, is that I also believe that it's going to be familiar because more than 4.5, 4.4 billion people on the planet embody three belief systems. That is Islam, Christianity. Of course, I'm throwing Catholics in there um, and right. uh, Judaism. So if more than half the population of the planet, which, uh, by the way, a side, quick rabbit trail. I don't know if you saw um, the, the recent studies that have come out that they are estimating that they've, they've now depopulated the planet by a billion since. Um, yes. Yeah. So people are not paying attention to that. That right. the low birth rate, of course, all the uh, uh, people that have been sterilized because of these shots, these you know these quote inoculations. Uh, but so the, the 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 perspective that I bring is that the, ultimately the one world religion. We know from Revelation thirteen that it says that that second beast looked like a lamb with two horns, but he spoke like right. a dragon. So I make the argument that if he looked like a lamb, right? We know it's an antichrist spirit. That means that. Some version of Christianity, some version, is going to be a part of promoting this beast system. And that's exactly what we see. We see yes. the church promoting globalism and the beast system. I, I just talked right. to a pastor in Minnesota this past week when I was there who said, yeah, their denomination is getting ready for central bank digital currency and global digital currency. And they think it's good. They think it's a good thing. They go, what the heck? Right. So. This is part of the deception, but ultimately in, in the one world religion, this is our, by the way, our brand new DVD is actually coming out uh, towards the end of June. Um, it's already in post-production. We've already recorded it and people can get it on our website. The great pushback we already have. We already have that on DVD if they want to get a copy, but it's basically, uh, I believe part of Satan's deception is to bring this lie that we are uh, in this multi-faith, Abrahamic faith lie. And, and it's really this idea that, well, Muslims, Christians, and Jews, uh, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism all worship the same God and all trace their lineage back to Abraham. So in the presentation, I basically refute that and, and I make the argument why Islam cannot be Abrahamic. It is not of faith. It is not an Abrahamic faith. It is not the same God. And of course, that's my testimony, as I already mentioned, Scott, right, is that right. I came out of it. I know it's not the same God. How can they, these Christians sit there and tell me, these missionaries sit there and tell me, no, 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 we're, we're convinced that Islam is Abrahamic. It's the same God that, that, that Abraham was following back in the Old Testament. And I go, no, it's not. I came out of it. I know it's not the same God. It's not the true God. So anyway, that's the, the, the heart of this. It's, again, bringing back numerous examples of how we're seeing um, religion, uh, a false version of Christianity, a false version of Judaism, and a false, and a, and a, in my opinion, an authentic Islam, working with the one world government, working with the one world economy, um, the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, the World Government Summit, the World Health Organization, um, of course, the Trilateral Commission, uh, all those entities, uh, King Charles now, you know, he's all in. Right. All those right. entities are, are part of this B system. And there's going to be a false religious system that is going to say it's good. And true Christians, if they're occupying, are going to say, no, it's not right. good. We, are, we got to resist it, even though, again, I'm of the opinion we're not going to ultimately stop it because I think it's going to have to happen because it says in the Bible. But we can right. resist it. We can push it back. We don't know yet God's timing. And that's why we are doing what we're doing. Uh, that was perfectly said. I agree 100 percent with that that synopsis and you know where we miss it is 
this stuff is happening. The slippery slope happens one micro step at a time. And we have to be pay very close attention when it's happening, push back live. In this next slide, Don, I want you to bring that up, is an example. This was out of your, this is out of your slide presentation. So here, this is boots on the ground. This is Satan's minions on the ground. And this is how, when you see this stuff, if you don't push back, you know, we're going to close with the Diedrich Bonhoeffer slide, you know, and he said, you know, if you to to if you say nothing, it's the you know, you can't. Uh, well, I, I got to think of the quote here for a minute. Silence yeah. in the face of evil. Yes, go ahead. No, yeah, I mean, you're yeah. right. Like you said, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's quote, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. To not speak Correct. is to, to not speak. Um, is to, sp is to, sp to you're, not you're, speak is to speak, right? To speak. So you're, you're, see this, you yeah. see this in your yeah. local, yeah. your local, you know, if you're in Minneapolis, you see this and you don't speak, you are agreeing. You're giving tacit approval to this headline. Absolutely. And that's, that's what you can do on a, on a local level in your, you know, with your neighbors. With your neighbors, with, with your community. When this happened in Minneapolis, because I've been warning, obviously I've been to Minnesota, I think close to 30 times in the last eight or nine years. And, uh, and when I've been there, and obviously, as I said, I, I was just there this past week, um, and I'm warning people about what's going on. I have been warning about uh, this in the city of Minneapolis, how it was going to Islam is what's called their upper house, that, 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 that they're, once they take control. And, that there's a group called CARE, the Council of American Islamic Relations. They're a front group for the Muslim Brotherhood, which is part of the Islamic movement in the world and in America. Uh, and, and they work with the communists. They work with the socialists and the Marxists and the globalists. But they obviously have their own agenda with their false god. And, I, and, and he came, came out after this happened by the Minneapolis City Council passing. the. So I just want people to understand, this is downtown Minneapolis in a 20-block radius where the city is allowing them to broadcast on loudspeakers the Islamic call of prayer five times a day. Just let that settle in. That Would they have allowed that for church bells? Would they have allowed that for uh, you know, broadcasting the Lord's Prayer? Of course not. They would have had a massive meltdown if that had been allowed. So here we have this. And this guy from CARE says, we were shocked at how easy it was. He said, we were shocked at how easy it was because there was no pushback, Scott. Nobody Absolutely. stood up. Nobody prayed. Nobody went and fought it. And I talked to a pastor, uh, another pastor in Minneapolis who said they were at the uh, state capitol in, in St. Paul. And uh, the Muslim uh, Uber drivers are driving around the capitol there. They said they were very honest. They said very open. They said, yeah, we, we take shifts praying and we're, we're dedicating this capital to our God, Allah. Where is where are the Christians? Where is the church? Where is the spiritual pushback and understanding we are in a spiritual war? When this is not pushed back, the enemy takes over. And that's what's happening to Minneapolis. That's right on. And that word occupy, you know, from a military perspective means you don't surrender any ground. The ground right. that you're given, you don't surrender any of that ground. Uh, that's, uh, but, by, right, the way, so, Scott, by the way, Scott, yeah, roll, real quick. The Muslims understand that. Why is it the Muslims understand that? Why is it the Satanists understand that? Why is it the, 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 the trans community, the LGBT? How come they understand that when you take territory, you don't give it up? You fight for it. 
And us Christians, you know, in Minnesota, for example, that they play this, well, we're, we're Minnesota nice. Well, your niceness is your downfall because it's not love. It's not Christian love. It's not Christian charity. It, it's, a, it's a false niceness. Uh, it's a false piety. And all it does is le leads to your takeover. Yeah, Jesus wasn't always nice. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, you know, he... he he was he was brutal at times, uh, you know. He showed us that love has many different dimensions, and um, you know, it's this is not the time to be nice. You know, no. if you were nice in the hospital, your wife would not be here. That's right. That's right. Exactly yeah. right. If I, if I had if I had just gone along to get along, and, and, and believe that well, you know, they know best. No, this is by the way one of the reasons you know equipping is about armoring up because when you equip. You're armoring up with the truth. And you don't know when that truth, like I had studied all these studies and I studied all the different drugs and different things and the hospital protocols. And I didn't know if I'd ever need it. But man, I tell you in those moments, I am sure glad I had that knowledge. I'm sure glad, of course, I, I'm grateful for the Holy Spirit who gave me fortitude, but I'm sure I had the knowledge to be able to then be able to push back with them because they were shocked at how much was coming out of my mouth, challenging yeah, them. And you were that's prepared. what- yeah, because they're they're used to just rolling over people, and and, and so many people told me, Sharon, we were in the hospital. I didn't know. I didn't know any better. Better, and they killed my wife. They killed my husband. They killed my child. And I, and that's why we have to equip people with the truth, with knowledge, to make sure that they have their armored up and ready when the battle comes. Fantastic. I want so we talked about one world religion. I want to transition to one world government. These next two slides. The first one you had already mentioned the trilateral commission, and yeah. so in the trilateral, okay. go ahead. You can. Well, no, no, I was going to say sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, this is very, very, very. Um, it was a very powerful revelation, and it was not covered very much. Uh, this actually, uh, a friend of mine named Lee, my, my friend Leo Holman, who's an investigative journalist, he was one of the few that actually wrote on this. Um, if, if people understand the Trilateral Commission, understand how long they've been around, understand all of these global families, you know, they, they, we, we estimate um, how many actual families are really running the world, you know, 13, 21. I've heard different numbers, but, the, the, you know, obviously the, the likes of, you know, the Rockefellers, uh, the Rothschilds, the Bilderbergers, the, the you know, the Soros and, and, and so forth and so on. But the fact that the Trilateral Commission, which has been around, I believe, if I'm correct, since 1931, uh, right around that time frame, almost 100 years, they're giving the nod to the World Economic Forum that 2023 is their year one of their, of their new global order, the new world order. That's shocking because this is like with COVID, right? Where, when when right. we understood all the stuff that was happening before, the pandemic exercises, all the things they were, they were sort of wargaming. The fact right. that they're declaring this and one other piece of news that is not in this presentation, you probably saw this. King Charles now has declared that in September they want to have a special meeting during the time of the United Nations in New York where they want to accelerate Agenda 2030. They want to accelerate it. Now, I, you know, I love your thought on that, Scott. Is that because, one, they, they got the, the foot to the pedal and they want to just get it across the finish line? Or could it be? that a little bit of humanity is actually waking up and maybe they're getting nervous that now their agenda isn't quite clicking as it did. I don't, you know, so I love your, your take on that, but uh, it is incredible that, that with all the acceleration during COVID that they got, 
to agenda, UN Agenda 2030 and their new world order, they want to now make it faster. And so that's, you know. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, Satan's two sides, you know, the, the dark side and the angel of light side are playing against each other. And it's interesting, um, you know, Satan is controlling both sides, but neither side realizes the what's happening. It, it's it's uh, as I've been exposed to that after Grace's death. It's uh, it's by far and away the most um, it's the most powerful thing in in my waking yeah. up process. Yeah. All right, yeah. so now I just want to bring up this next slide, Don. Yeah. This is the clown that they have as a talking head. <laughs> so. Yeah, so we don't have to. <laughs> everybody's familiar. Everybody's familiar with him. So then the next slide: What is God's perspective? Does yeah. God want a one-world government? Well, this well, is so key. This yeah. is so key because as I um, have been talking about this, I am grieved, as I said, with how many believers, how many Christians view what's happening globally, digital currency, digital ID, um, the, the, the idea of, of, of uh, a global community, they view these things as somehow good. And so at Absolutely. the same time that the enemy is uh, putting together this new world order, which we know is ultimately the beast system of, of Book of Revelation, God is bringing, restoring things. He is at the same time putting things in his divine godly order in preparation ultimately for his for his coming kingdom and 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 the, the god of the bible uh, i don't know if you have that slide or not but the god of the bible is not a god of globalism yeah i have that as the next slide john don bring that one in yeah yeah there we go so here is psalm 22 which is one of the verses that i use for the kingdom is the lord's and he rules over the nations plural Plural, and this is very important to understand because the God of the Bible is a God who has appointed borders and boundaries. The, the Bible tells us that. The God Correct. of the Bible, who is, who is the God who he will raise up leaders and bring down leaders. So this idea, and, and, and if we go back to the Tower of Babel, when the enemy tried the concept of all coming under one, one language, one people to become like God. And God destroyed it, and God scattered them and separated it. And ultimately, God will destroy this system that Satan's setting up. So, but why are Christians confused? Why are Christians celebrating globalism? Why are Christians celebrating what the globalists are implementing? We have to understand that God has ordained sovereignty. And the reason I bring this up is because being here in Knoxville, Tennessee, and being involved in in, in, in uh, this fight, as you are, Scott, um, I get accused a lot of being what's called a Christian nationalist. Oh, you're a Christian nationalist. Right. As if we're going to elevate America above God. And of course, we never do that. We, we, we don't elevate any nation over God or over his kingdom. But when they ask me that question, it shocks them when I say, yes, I'm a Christian nationalist because I answer them and say, well, first of all, I'm a Christian. And secondly, I believe in nationalism. Not globalism, because God of the Bible is a God of nations, plural, not one nation or one government. And it shocks them because they want to use that title to make us, you know, white supremacists, Nazis, 
blah, 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 whatever. But we have to push back on this. And so I think God is restoring this concept of nationalism. And, and that's the fight, really, ultimately, isn't it? Yep. Is that it's yep. the fight between globalism and nationalism. I think that's uh, that's uh, exactly right. So, you know, a couple of Satan's weapons I want to go through here to set up the days of Noah. So if we go through one of his weapons in the next slide is fear. So yes. Yes. you masterfully put this together to show, you know, they've, they've, they love to use scare tactics of disease as a way to control us. And then, Don, can you bring up the next one? So then convenience. So this whole digital currency thing, I mean, we can see this a mile away that this is this is no good. But the population and the churches can't see it. And the next slide too, Don, is also about the digital currency. So fear and convenience are these techniques that Satan uses. And I, I want to, I brought these up because I want to uh, spend a little bit more time on this next slide, which is... Uh, transhumanism. So can you yeah. bring that one up, Don? So I, I see, I, I think you may have brought this up in Wausau, and I'm going to have you comment on, on it. So I, I have this slide to talk about the days of Noah. And so did you bring this up in Wausau about the, um, the Nephilim back in Noah's time versus transhumanism in our time? I did. I did. I did. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I thought that yeah. was you. So go ahead and talk about that because no, no, I um, believe we, I believe we are in the days of Noah. Yeah. And absolutely. This, this slide um, is, a, is about that. So go ahead. No, it, it is about that. Um, the, the assertion that I made in Wausau in this presentation um, is uh, because I, I prayed on a lot uh, and I've talked to other pastors a lot about the statement that Jesus made that just as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be before the coming of the Son of Man. And so I, I reflected on that. I'm like, okay, well, that's pretty, that's, that's pretty strong evidence. Okay, so we go back to Genesis 6 and 7 and 8. We go back to Genesis 6 and say, okay, what was it like? Well, the Bible says there was great wickedness, that every intent of their heart was continually evil. All right, all right, I get that. And, and I think we see that today. I, I think we see right. that there are so many, particularly in the power structure, the globalists, the government, uh, that that every there is great wickedness. America is making Sodom and Gomorrah look like child's play some days, you know. So right. there's great wickedness. There's continual, perpetual uh, uh, evil on the intent of man's heart. But why did God have to? But but that 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 had been the case since the fall of man. Why did God have to destroy the world? And so then I went to the fact that something happened, and and it was the destruct. It was the corruption of human DNA. That's why I believe that the Nephilim, the idea that the sons of God came to earth, were on the earth, and saw the daughters of man. Uh, they're beautiful. They married. They they all of a sudden breed this new this new race called the Nephilim, which simply just means a fallen giant or fallen angel who is a giant, these giants on the land, uh, th this corrupted DNA. Th this, this, this interbreeding changed human DNA into a celestial or, or, or some other form of DNA. And now this was a huge problem for the Lord because the Lord had made a promise that he was going to bring from the seed of the woman back in Genesis 3 the, the lineage of the Messiah. And now if we allow, and, and we know that Jesus had to be fully human, fully God. Correct. And so if now Satan can corrupt human DNA, and now the promise is broken. 
So God intervenes, destroys the world, saves the, the, the family of Noah, saves the human genome line, and now brings about the promise. That's my supposition, which then tells us that's what I believe is going to be the main reason why those who take the mark of the beast and give allegiance to the mark can't be saved. Revelation 14, their, 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 their uh, eternal destiny is, is hell. Why is that? Why would they not be able to be saved if they take the mark? Because we are marching towards, again, in my opinion, transhumanism or not being human. And once you're no longer human, you can't be saved in the same mechanism that God has brought atonement and salvation through Christ, who was what? Both human fully and both God fully. So that's my supposition. I'd love your take on it, too. I really appreciate that summary. Uh, you know, when when I got done listening to you in Wausau, that was, you know, because I have believed we're in the days of Noah and you can see it, you know, you can see it just if you're paying attention at all. You know, uh, evil is being called good, good is being called evil. It's so plainly obvious. But that dive into the comparison with the Nephilim and the transhumanism uh, really struck me. So thank mm. you for explaining Amen. All right, the next slide, Don, Satan's greatest deception. So I, I'm curious to, you know, so I didn't know what you think Satan's greatest deception is. I have my own perspective, but I want to hear what you have to say relative to what is Satan's greatest deception? Well, obviously, if we take a step back, kind of like when you said you kind of had your second most, you know, second most uh, 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 deception in human history and the first one that's coming up. Obviously, right. if we go back to the to the garden, that was Satan's greatest deception, right? Is that is that the garden and and, the, and causing man to fall and man? So that that was you know, but but yet today, when we see this end time system um, forming before our very eyes, when we see this beast system, I think that's his final deception. Maybe a better term would have been Satan's final deception, because ultimately we know that that um, there is going to be this global deception jesus again warned about it in matthew 24 right be you know make right. take heed that no one deceives you and so um because revelation 12 says that you know once satan fell and and before he uh, to me i look at it as a time frame before he empowers that first beast which is the governmental economic beast and then the second beast which is that false prophet religious beast it says his time is short and so as his time is short i think that's why we see evil waxing you know, like you said, it's in our faith. I mean, it's so obvious. If we, if anybody has Holy Spirit eyes to see, you see that it's just inc just just exponentially getting darker and darker and more obvious, and how satanic things are. How I, I was talking on my show yesterday, or uh, yeah, yesterday about the whole transgenderism ideology that it is really an antichrist spirit, and the fact that you know Target now is going to sell shirts. Uh, yes. and, and products that are put out by a Satanist, that the guy right. that actually worships Satan and 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 uh, tar selling shirts that says Bible Girl six six six, and so there the, the enemy is getting blatant with Satan worship. The, the enemy is getting blatant with that things are actually satanic, and they're not even hiding it. So that's right. what I mean by we're in those days. Uh, it's the greatest deception because it's right in your face. And people yeah. can't see it. People are blinded. That's, and that, to me, invokes a great deception, something that should be obvious, like COVID. 
<laughs> that it was that it was a, a a pandemic and not a pandemic, and 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 yet um, it's you know it suckered the majority of the world. Yeah, I have often thought about this question, in, and my answer has been historically the greatest deception is that we are inherently good instead oh, of inherently yeah. bad. And so, I, yeah. you know, because if we're convinced we're inherently good, we don't need a savior. And, you know, so, and you look at why can't people believe your story about your wife? Why can't they believe my story about grace? Because they can't wrap their head around that people without God are evil. That's the way yes. we are. Yes. Uh, so anyway, that's well said. That's, that's well nice said. That's small commentary. That 100%. Uh, then the next slide I think is very important and because it's the, the only answer is the Bible. And so how do we know that? And so I'm after your answer that, of course, I have my own perspective too. I mean, I'm 100% convinced the Bible is true. So why, why are you convinced? Well, first of all, uh, Scott, as I mentioned in my testimony, um, I explored uh, Islam. Um, I explored other false religions, and then I explored the Bible. And uh, to understand that the Bible was the only book that actually answered my questions. The Bible was the only book that um, made cohesive sense. Um, it is authenticated, uh, 40 witnesses, 1,500 years. But beyond that, this is why I think prophecy matters, because prophecy proves the Bible, just like in the Old Testament. There's, there, there were at least 300 prophecies about the coming of the Messiah the first time. And we know from the life of Christ that he fulfilled every single prophecy. And people have seen those numbers. The, the, the numbers are astronomical for even one person to fulfill 20 or 30 of those, let alone 300 plus prophecies. The same is true for now what we see happening before us. We see so many things happening that the Bible is predicted. So I, so th there is an authentication. Um, God has revealed his word, and we got to not forget, Jesus is the word. So when I talk to people about evidence for the Bible, um, people today are cherry-picking. They, they like parts of it. That are, no, no, no. The, you know, the Lord gave us his, his book. He gave us his revelation, and um, it has been proven over and over again. It has been challenged. It has been tested and has been proven over, over again. And yeah. um, that to me is why we must return to the truth. We must return to God's commandments. We must live by those commandments and we must occupy till he comes. We have no option of vacating the word of God. Uh, again, very, you know, it is, it's, it's wonderful to have you as a guest because you summarize these topics so so succinctly and eloquently you know my simple perspective is when i read the bible i saw that it is the only book i've ever read that deals with the cause of sin mm. every other book dealt deals with um, actions the bible deals with the heart and so we're every other book is measure we're measuring our success based on actions the bible deals with motive and you know, it is the the only one that has a cure, an answer for the problem with the heart, which is the cause of sin. So uh, that's that was my Amen. 
more simple answer, I guess. Than, uh, no, that's, I had, that's also very eloquent. That was awesome. I, I love that. Well, I'm not known to be all that eloquent, but thank you for that. <laughs> all right, these next, so the next slide introduces the next three following it. So we have a responsibility to resist the devil. So these next three slides, uh, Don will put up the first one and then Sharam, I want you to go through it. And then the next two follow the first one. So I want you to go through these because these are active ways all of us can resist. So go ahead, Don. Yeah. So this, uh, this slide, um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, while the enemy is seeking to destroy, pervert, um, we have seen such an attack on God's creation. You mentioned earlier with the COP27, the attack on, on God's creation, where we, we buy the lies about global warming and now climate change and so forth and so on. But we've also seen such an attack on God's design, just with, just with his creation of, 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 of a man, a woman, children, the way he's made us. And I believe that that divine order, that God is restoring things. He's bringing, bringing an awakening and a revival. So I believe that part of the pushback is we have to restore what has been perverted. We're in an age where we don't even define, we can't even define what a woman is, right? What is a woman? You know, what, and, and so I actually did a teaching for Mother's Day recently where I said, what is a mother? Because you have the, the, the trans community now wants to claim their mothers. Uh, nope, I'm sorry, men can't get pregnant. Men can't have babies. It's a, uh, it's a fact. So we need a revival of godly women. We need a revival of godly femininity. And um, the, the ladies out there need to remember how God has made you. You're made in the image of God. You're beautiful in the eyes of God. And God desires for you to be a Proverbs 31 woman of God, Proverbs 31, 10 through 31 specifically. And I, I believe God is restoring. I believe God wants us to reclaim that which the enemy is, is trying to yes. steal or pervert. And we're reclaiming womanhood. We're reclaiming femininity. We're reclaiming motherhood. We're reclaiming those things that are beautiful in the eyes of God. And women need to celebrate and not, you know, give in to what the world is, is, is lying to them about. Well, very well put. Next slide, Don. So in the same way, uh, we're seeing the same thing with men. We've seen the enemy come after men and neuter men. And, and I make the assertions, God, this goes all the way again back to Genesis 3. When the, serp when the serpent deceived Eve and then Adam, um, the Lord spoke the, the judgment, right, over the serpent that I'm going to put enmity or strife between you and the woman and Great. your seed and her seed. And I think, by the way, this is one of the reasons why Satan is so, uh, uh, there's such a bloodlust for not only destroying what it means to be a woman and then now by a man, but also what it means to destroy the womb, to destroy the life. Because remember in Genesis 3.20, God speaks to Eve and says, you'll be the mother of all living. Even though there was judgment, even though they were being cast out of the garden, he still speaks and says, you're going to be the mother of all living. And it's just phenomenal when you understand that a woman can give life. And a man, of course, is a part of that process. But we need to restore what it means to be a godly man of God. We need to restore masculinity. What is the lie of the enemy? Toxic masculinity. If you're masculine, you're toxic. Nonsense. A, a man submitted to God. Here's the key. A man submitted to God 
walking in godly masculinity is a man who is alert, as, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, is a man who is standing firm in his faith, is a man of courage, is a man of strength, and is a man who is contending for his family, who is contending for his church, who is contending for his community, and who is contending for his faith. And we got to make sure that we cast off all other things that entangle, sin easily entangling, and walk that out. And we, we got to put, put aside the, 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 uh, the, the attack on masculinity where, where Satan has neutered men, has created a bunch of emasculated men, emasculated, uh, well, I'm not sure. I think we're going to get the pastors, but emasculated yeah, pastors. And that's got to be changed, and we got to reclaim it again. Yeah, we're doing pastors next, so go ahead, Don. Yeah, well, when it comes to the concept of men and then men who are then going to be in the pulpit, um, what has happened to our pastors? What has happened to a godly shepherd? Uh, we need to restore those godly pastors. We need to restore um, what was historically referred to as the Black Robe Regiment, the, 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 the regiment of those pastors in the Revolutionary War who were who were willing to lay their lives down for the cause of freedom. Uh, I, I made a statement that just like we had frontline doctors during COVID, we need frontline pastors. And this is what I was talking about with the Lord showed me a number of years ago how much the enemy has neutered, not just men, but pastors. And he called them, and I was in a prayer time, and he called them spiritual eunuchs, warned the church about spiritual eunuchs that are in these false or lukewarm churches. And I'm like, wow, that is it. These are men who've been emasculated. They've had their spiritual um, testosterone and, <laughs> and their spiritual fight cut out of them. And that's why we don't see much of a pushback from a pastor who's supposed to be a shepherd, who's supposed to be willing to lay down his life for the sheep. Yeah. Where is no, that? That's, so That's right on. We, we left our church over this specific thing because the pastor was, was riding the fence. You know, so he would preach watered down versions of Romans 13, you mm. know, to obey authority. And, you know, of course, that has nothing to do when authority is satanic. And right. then also watered down versions of Romans 14, you know, the idea of all getting along, you know, right. so he hadn't crossed the line and, you know, preached transhumanism or shots or, but I mean, he wouldn't preach against shots. He wouldn't preach against mass. So, I mean, it, he was on the fence. So his people pleaser personality overrode his responsibility. And he specifically thought I should not be speaking out. And when I called him to task on it, uh, then, you know, he, yeah, I met with, yeah, I did what I was supposed to do. You know, I talked with him, met with him one-on-one, -on -one, took a couple hour walk with him, uh, then still didn't want to buy into it. So I met with him and three of the other men from church and yet still, you know, it, it fell on deaf ears. So, I mean, at that point, it's time to, to move on. And, you know, thankfully I've met men like you in the process that, that uh, show me the the right way that we are we are supposed to be led, and it's it's quite a blessing. It, uh, I appreciate that, and Scott, this goes back to a question you asked earlier, where we actually and you said it. I think it was well said. I don't I don't think we realized the programming that had been there. I don't think we realized the programmings in the seminaries and the programming in the in the in the church growth movements. I, I remember this a lot, you know, number of years ago with. 
purpose driven church and, and, and the likes of Rick Warren and, and, right. and then Drucker and these guys that came in. This has been going on for decades where they've been, uh, you know, cutting away and, and, and bringing in Marxism and bringing in social justice and things like that. And so that whole interpretation of Romans 13 and 14 is so grieving and is so offensive. And, and um, I know you're going to end with the Bonhoeffer quote, but why, how come we're not learning from his example? How come we're not learning that Bonhoeffer had left Germany, that the German church didn't stand and, and they played nice? And then having that regret later that if only we had stood earlier, if only a, a larger percentage of the church had stood. And, and so I, I look at COVID, the same thing. I look at any issue and I see abortion. I see the same thing. I look at this whole LGBT trans insanity. I see the same thing. We're not standing up. And the men of God, the pastors of God are not being shepherds. How can a man of God stand there and say, it's not my job to speak out on these issues? When those issues affect every member of your congregation, pastor, when those issues affect every when, when, when that Christian is, is about to, um, you know, one of the reasons we did a, a religious exemption letter from our ministry was because I was getting calls from Christians across the country saying my pastor doesn't care if I lose my job because I won't take the jab. And I said, that's that's I said, that's, that's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. Right. So we wrote a religious exemption letter that we believe was downloaded over 4,000 times and used and to, to praise God to good success, really, really good success. But pastors, uh, uh, you remember uh, uh, first, first, first Baptist Dallas, uh, Jeffers comes out and says, Christians have no right to a religious exemption against COVID shots. Uh, how dare you? I mean, this is incredible. So uh, yeah, we need to restore. We need to pray that God will, uh, tap on the shoulders. And part of what I'm saying to men, I think there's going to be a whole new breed of pastors. I think a lot of these pastors, just like with the medical professionals that have been exposed, I think a lot of pastors that are in the pulpit are hirelings, not shepherds. And I think they're being exposed. And I think God's about to tap, Holy Spirit's about to tap on the shoulder of a lot of men and call them into the ministry, pastoral ministry. Um, because there's going to be a new breed that God is restoring. That's a good segue to a couple of, of things I want Don to bring up. I'll just share what the day that it put me over the edge is when I learned one of the elders got jabbed. And so I called the pastor. I said, listen, if something happens to Bill, his blood is on your hands because you refuse to speak out against this. And you know I've had one-on-one -on -one conversations with him. He knew it was a bioweapon but refused to speak out on it. And, you know, that led to us ultimately leading. So you, the next slide, we'll just show it quickly. This is the Black Robe Regimen you mentioned. So yep. you've already commented on it. Then I want to go through, we're going to go off track here just a bit. We'll come back <laughs> to the slideshow. I have just a few things that are shocking that I've learned. So Don, can you bring up the Rockefeller funding of Christian seminaries? So these will all be in the show notes. When I learned this, I had heard it. I thought, this is impossible. So then I did a deep dive into it. And this is one of the many articles that I found showing that the Rockefellers uh, are funding Christian seminaries. So you've got to, you know, you went to Bible training college, Sharam. You know, it's important that that pastors, when you look now, when you start becoming awake, you have to look at what you've been trained. And did you get trained 
in Satan's Satan has a way to infiltrate that seems right. He's doing it, has been doing it ever since the garden. Uh, the next one, Don. So this one is was another shocker. A hundred thousand pastors have been trained by FEMA to do roundups to help the government in the event of martial law. This is an absolute shocker. Again, this will be in the show notes. And then last but not least, so churches, I mean, they received the, remember when the PPP loans, they were grants yeah. were going out in these churches. So this, this man did two articles on it. So this will be in the show notes also to show these churches were, they were glad to take the COVID money versus staying open. Sickening stuff. All right, we'll go back to the slideshow. Um, so we just have a couple more things I want you to comment on each slide as they're brought up. So this one is the national divorce slide. Can you bring that one up, Don? So you yeah. talked about this in Wausau. I just want to get your these, – these are a little bit off topic, but they were important enough. I wanted to just get your quick comment on the last few slides before we close. Well, I, I think based on what you said, um, you know, I, when I look at the condition of America, I look at the condition of the church. You know, the two are interconnected. And when you talk about um, how churches responded during COVID, uh, this is why we did a document on our website that is called a Declaration of Dependence on God. And that document was directly out of the fact that so many churches took that money and, and, and sided with government. But when I look at the condition of America, um, Okay, so I'm going to share something here publicly that that um, I've shared it on my show, obviously, publicly, but before that I had not shared it. After the 2020 elections and, and knowing what happened, knowing that that was a theft of an election, it was a theft of, 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 um, of a nation, really, and it was a coup. Uh, I remember I lived through a coup. I lived through that in Iran. I know what a coup looks like. <laughs> and, and my dad was a military officer. He saw things coming. He took early retirement to get, get us out of Iran. I, I saw a coup in 2016. I saw a coup in 2020. Uh, now we're seeing all the you know spying and how corrupt the FBI and so forth and so on. Okay, but why why am I saying national divorce? Because um, number one, spiritually, politically, economically, this nation is so divided. Number two, what the Lord spoke to me that that about three days after the election, just in prayer, I was praying middle of the night. I was so grieved at what had happened, and. He, he, he referenced Jeremiah chapter 3, where he had issued a writ of divorce to Israel. And I thought, whoa. And I believe that we're on the cusp of this, that we're on the cusp of that in America as part of judgment. If God issues a writ of divorce to this nation, then that means that there is a national divorce coming. There is a separation and a breakup coming. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how it would go down. Other than we already see, uh, we already see such a divide between states and the federal government, such a divide between people and, and different states where God is turning certain states over. Uh, Washington, California, Oregon, Minnesota, New York, they're being turned over. And yet other states that are turning and, and seeking to turn to some semblance of, of righteousness and truth and sanity. So that's what I believe, Scott, is for the potential that we are uh, really at a point of, of no return. We're at a point where I don't, I don't think we can rectify. I don't think we can unify. I don't think right. this nation is, is, is able to unify, even though there's going to be revival maybe in certain pockets. I think it's in pockets. And historically, no empire, no nation has stood as, as corrupt 
and divided as we are. The injustice in this land, the corruption in this land, um, uh, th this federal government, this cabal, this medical cabal, the, the media cabal, that is so corrupt right. that I don't, I don't see how we go past it. So that's just my opinion. Well, that is actually my opinion too. It's the second most important thing I've learned since Grace died is how corrupt everything is. The first is how programmed I, I have been, and that's ultimately why I started this podcast. All right, next slide, Don. This one is near and dear to me. I'll comment on, uh, whoop, where are we at? Let's see, alternative systems. Sorry. Yep, I'm going to comment on the next one. You comment on this one. Go ahead. Okay. Alternative systems. Well, basically, because of this B system that we've talked about, um, digital currency, digital ID, the loss of national sovereignty, um, destroying food supply, controlling communications, uh, of course, depopulation. You know, we haven't even talked about, you, you know, we've, 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 we've kind of mentioned it here and there, but part of the beast system's agenda is death. We, we know from Revelation 6, if you look at the first four seals, we know that there's going to be a massive death on the earth. Um, it says a quarter of the earth will die from various uh, uh, means. So uh, the alternative system is about this. I've been passionate about helping Christians prepare for whatever is ahead of them uh, practically. I've studied a lot of underground church movements. I've studied a lot on underground movements within people who live under communism, socialism, Marxism, so forth and so on. And there's a weird way that, that they have a way of surviving and creating alternative systems, you know, various communication, food supply. So I, we're working here in East Tennessee on, look, we, we, we need to have local food supply. We need to be one-on-one -on -one with our farmers, our ranchers, because we know what they're, good, what they're doing to the food supply. Um, we ought to know what they're doing to the food supply. We need alternative communications because we can't rely on uh, these things that, that are going to be monitored, biometrics. Um, you saw in Australia now, all the driver licenses are, are now biometrics. You just got to scan your face before you can have your driver license and all this stuff. Um, alternative healthcare. One of the things we worked on here, Scott, is trying to identify those holistic-minded, Christ-centered, pro-freedom providers, uh, the pharmacists, the naturopaths, the chiropractors, the doctors, those. So we've actually identified a network. We're trying to promote that network. We're trying to help people to um, have their own COVID, have their own kits at home and uh, alternative remedies if they're not dependent on pharmaceuticals. Um, alternative Do you have that network? Is that network on your website that you've already developed? Um, it is loosely on our website. As I said, it's called Exodus. Um, we, we, we're still in developing phase for the for how we can launch it because part of the challenge has been to launch it. There's obviously other uh, healthcare freedom movements in the country uh, that are launching telehealth and things like that. Uh, but we're trying to do it locally, so we're still in development um, uh, because. Uh, we, we have, here's the problem. We have too free, few providers. We have too few right. providers that are willing to come out of the system because the way we're setting this up is under private membership association. Outside of the system, no insurance, self-pay, self-enclosed. Right. Uh, uh, that way doctors and nurses, if they have to, can function without licensing if they yes. have to. Yes. And that's, that's this right. is what we're advocating. It's still, it's still a hard sell. Because since things have kind of gone back to quote unquote normal, right. uh, people think that we're, we're okay now and we're saying no, yeah. it's, it's not. Yeah, I'm going to have that as one of my closing comments, that exact piece. That's, that's right on. 
Uh, I, I was impressed when you were introducing this topic in Wasa too, because I believe it's a hundred percent right. This is where we got to go. But you're you're also right. It is at the beginning, especially. It's like steering the Titanic with an oar. But then, if people are not bought in, in fact, I want to just cover that right now. So when we get to the slide. I, I won't spend any time on it. The single most important thing that we fight uh, is belief and. Unless people, so what I see that what I'm very frustrated with the with what I'll call the freedom movement is that it's I don't think they even believe what they're the dire situation we're in. So you and I believe we're in a dire situation. That's why we're working bell to bell every single day on you know all these things that we're doing. I believe it. I believe we're in the days of Noah. But if we're trying to convince people who don't believe in we're in the days of Noah. They don't see the same urgency. And, uh, you know, so I was going to cover that when we got to slide 27, but that's okay. I, I, uh, I covered it now. And, and what you just said about it's very hard because people, they, they purposely frame COVID as being over to set up the next thing. You know, it's, right. it's interesting to see the propaganda right in front of your eyes once you're awake to it. The slide that's up now uh, I'm going to cover this one because this is one I believed in for quite a while now because I've had the benefit of meeting personally and also interviewing Matt Truella, who wrote The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates. Yep. And this is a big deal. Your county sheriff has the authority. You might not realize, and that's why I put this slide in, he or she <laughs> has the authority to stop whatever illegal mandate comes down the pike. And we've seen this across the country in one of the local counties that our business is in. That sheriff stood, he said, I'm not enforcing any mask mandates. I'm not enforcing any of it. And it is really important to have a relationship with your, your county sheriff. Um, the, Scott, can I quickly comment on just yeah, like a quick 30 seconds? I just covered this on my show yesterday. Not only... Uh, on the mandates, uh, like we saw, we saw um, I had a good friend of mine here in, in Tennessee. He was a county prosecutor. He single-handedly stopped all the mandates in his county uh, because he's an elected, uh, not appointed. Obviously, he's an elected official because the sheriff didn't do it. But other counties, we've seen the sheriff. But uh, I just read, I just covered an article yesterday on my show from uh, Alan West, who was talking about what what has has happened at the border, which uh, last week I did a show. And of course we know this is an invasion. We are now in the midst of an invasion in our nation, middle-aged, our, our military-aged men and women coming in, um, being bussed around the country, 71% going to Republican districts. Um, the county sheriff needs to invoke posse comitatus. The county sheriff needs to invoke citizens to stand on their ground against the criminality that is in our, in our communities now from this invasion. This is treason. This is sedition. This is crimes and misdemeanors of the highest caliber. That's why I said the United States government is so corrupt. And if it doesn't yep. fall upon the local level, we're in deep trouble. That's, uh, that's right on. All right. The second to last slide is the we are at war slide. I already covered that with belief. And so we'll go right to the Bonhoeffer slide. And we're going to leave that up as I... I start wrapping things up. And so what we'll do, Sharam, is I have a couple of comments in closing. We're going to play a video, which I think is critical. And then I'll come back to you for the final, the final word. So you know, in closing, I normally share the gospel here. I'm not going to do that today because of everything we have shared about the gospel. But I do want to, I do want to close with an important piece of the gospel, and that is repentance. 
And I had shared this video before when I interviewed Ron Panzer, but it's that important. I've never seen a video that captures repentance like this one does. And I personally believe, and I'm not just believe, I know it, that the way we can see the false prophets solutions are similar to the evil caused by man. And if their solutions don't start with repentance, that's the single most important signal that we can see that they are a false prophet. And so I want to play this video. I want to just say uh, right after the video, we'll come back to Sharam for the final word. But, you know, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And it is so important that all of us who believe don't fall trapped to these next level solutions that are going to prey on our desire for security and comfort. We're responsible to occupy and push back until Jesus comes in the territory we've been given. So Don, roll the final clip, please.
you know, we've we've turned away from God, and the only way back to this is is through repentance. So, Sharam, the last word is to you. Oh, yeah, that was uh, that's so powerful. Uh, I agree with you, brother, one hundred percent. We need to um, humbly stand before our Lord in these last days. I think we've established today that, you know, we are in the last days. Um, and yet we have to remember that as we occupy that a holy, righteous God, the, 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 the lamb is not just the lamb of God. It's the, it's the lion of the tribe of Judah. The king of kings is coming back and he is a holy and righteous God. And so we need to walk in the fear of the Lord, not the fear of man. I want to encourage you. If you're watching this today, that um, our response is to be faithful till the very end, to finish the race well. If we yeah. do that, we have honored God, we have given him the glory, and we can hold our head up high. We can know that we have fulfilled our, our purpose and calling. I'm here, first and foremost, to worship him, to praise him, to love him, to serve him. And then, yes, by extension, to serve my neighbor to love my neighbor, but let's not forget the first command. And so um, it, it's, it's, it's an incredible moment. It's an incredible hour. We are, we are um, for such a time, we are truly here. And may we make it count. And may we not lose hope. May we not lose discouragement. Scott, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you that deprogramming is about setting people free. The truth shall set people free. And uh, we need to be truth tellers, truth and love, speak that truth and love, live that truth and love. And so I pray that people are encouraged by that and they can um, contend for their faith and represent the Lord well, because uh, he's worthy. He's worthy of it. And nothing in this world can ultimately phase me if I'm in the perfect will of God. Thank you so much for coming on today. It was quite a privilege. Talk to Amen. you soon. Thank you. God bless you guys. Please stand by for further details. We return you now to your regularly scheduled program.